Let us pray. Father, as your word is open, we know that only you can interpret it. And Lord, if there's any pain here that maybe we've forgotten or purposely stuffed down, we pray that you may help us to remember that we may face the pain and heal. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Pain. Who wants it? Now, most of us have heard the phrase growing pains. And what that means is, is that whatever we do in life, no matter what we do, there's always going to be some type of pain, right? So like a baby when it's growing up, I mean, having it's teething, goes to pain, right? You want to get bigger in strength, you actually have to work out, and sometimes you get pain from that. And so in the spiritual realm too, whatever we do, in order to grow, there needs to be some level of pain. And in the same way, emotionally, we need to experience the sorrow and in facing the pain that we may heal. Last summer, we had our school in Hawaii, and there was an older lady that came to our school from another island. And she looked like she had it all together. I knew her for a while. And always happy, smiling, bubbly, everything. And then I'll never forget, it was like the end of the week. Everyone's sharing their testimonies, and she was all, I love this everything. I love this school. I love the messages. And, oh, this was just good for me, but never opened up. I think it was the last night that we, we had a testimony sharing a prayer chair. Like, we come to the front, and you sit in a chair, and you share, and we pray for you. And then I knew her for over 20 years. I never knew this story. She sat in a chair, and then she began to cry. She said, I've never shared this in public. No one even knows about this. Then she went on to tell the story of when she was younger. I think it was about 25, 30 years ago. She was upstairs and she told her mom, mother-in-law, to watch her son. So she went to sleep, getting ready for work. Finally, when she came downstairs, she saw her mother-in-law at the kitchen cooking, and she didn't see her son anywhere. She looked around, and the first thing she saw was a screen door open to the backyard. And she said in her heart, she knew that her son had already died. So she went outside in the backyard, and there she saw her son in the pool face down. And he had died. And she was weeping while she was sharing her story. I had never shared this anywhere. And she was weeping. My son had died. And she just, just gave out a wail in front of everyone. This was weeping, a wail, like, like a cry, like I've never heard before. Never. There's nothing like losing a child. There's nothing like it. And it just broke all of her heart. She was weeping. And some ladies, girls went up there, they were holding her. And then she said, share that. I don't have a family anymore. My other son and my other daughter, they don't want nothing to do with me. I have no children. I just said what happened was because I was so much in pain, that I wasn't able to see everyone else's pain all around me because her own son was in pain. 
because he lost a brother. Her own daughter was in pain because she lost a brother. But all she could see was her own pain. That's all she could see. And who, I mean, who's to blame for that, right? But because of that, and she never forgave, still was bitter against her mother-in-law for neglecting to watch her son. Till that day, 25 years later, do you think people can walk around carrying this burden? Bitterness, anger, hatred, right? Pain in the heart, even after 30 years? That's when some of the students said, we will be your children. We're your daughters. We're your sons. And to this day, they still contact her. They call her up. They stay at her place. And she has children. But her goal is to reconcile with her children, to make things right. That's for forgiveness. And God has brought healing to her, and God's been continuing to bring healing into her life. But it didn't happen until she faced the pain. I know we don't like pain. We don't like to face it. You know, Americans, compared to other people around the world, we just came back from Australia. Man, they are tough over there. Do you guys know that? <laughs> people in Australia are like, oh, that's nothing. It's just a broken leg, you know? The nurse I had, he said, oh, yeah, I broke pretty much every bone in my body. I'm a, you know, I ride motorcycle and all that. I mean, they can handle all this pain, but Americans, oh, ow, ow, cut, cut, ow. You know, <laughs> we, they say the pain tolerance of Americans are very low, okay? But other, like, countries are, like, really tough. I mean, Australians, I give it to them. They're really tough. My, my nephew broke his leg, shattered his whole leg, fell off the top bunk. And like the nurse is like, oh yeah, man, that's nothing, you know. I'm going to show this scar and this scar, you know. And like they're really that way. But Americans don't like pain. And so when it comes to this type of pain, we don't like to face this pain. We don't like to deal with pain, not only physical, but actually spiritual pain as well. So as we go through this, I want us to think about as we go to the Bible text. Okay, so Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 to 22. What happened when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem to face pain and death? The Bible says here in 16, verse 21 to 22, the Bible says, From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and what? Suffer or face pain, many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be what? What does it say? And be what? Killed and be raised the third day. So he knew he was supposed to face his pain, according to the Bible. And, but notice what it says in verse 22. What did Peter say? Good old Peter, right? Notice what it says here. Then Peter took him aside and began to what? Rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. In other words, be it far from you, you are not going to face your pain. I don't want you to face your pain. And I want you to notice Jesus' reaction and what he said to Peter and when Peter didn't want him to face his pain, the Bible says in verse of the pain and suffering, not only the physical pain of the cross, Jesus hardly felt the physical pain. It was the separation from the Father, right? The spiritual pain of being abandoned by his own Father, who he had never been abandoned by before. The emotional pain of being abused and neglected and abandoned by his own disciples and verbally and abused by the, the soldiers and everyone, the religious leaders. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So I want you to notice that when Peter didn't want Jesus to go through pain, Jesus rebuked Peter and says, I need to face my pain. And beloved, 
Satan's going to tempt you too. I don't want to go there. I don't want to deal with my issues. I just want to forget about everything that ever happened to me. And he's going to tempt you by doing that. He comes through these same temptations. You know, we like to play amateur Holy Spirit. Do you know that? Amateur providence. Because God works through pain. Did you know that? Before, there was a time where if someone's going to go to pain, my first response was, let's stop all pain. My response now is, maybe if I stop the pain, that would have been the very means he would have turned to Jesus. Are you following me? So my thought is, yes, I, I do everything as possible to alleviate pain. I lead them to Christ, but I'm not going to do everything and burn myself out to take all trials out of their life to make everything perfect and comfortable for them. Are you following me? I don't want to be the amateur Holy Spirit and stop the very work that God's trying to do and God, the whole time the Holy Spirit is saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Are you following me? Don't stop him going to the cross. We talked about crucified by Christians on right, Friday night. I thank God how things worked out the way it did and that I went through what I did. Turn to Mark chapter 15 in your Bibles. Mark chapter 15, verse 23. Mark 15, verse 23. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. So before we go there, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and um, he was facing the suffering and pain of the cross. And he didn't want to do what his father wanted him to do. He was struggling with that, but he finally gave in and it was agonizing to him, but he wanted to face his pain. And I've learned that a lot of times Laodicea and members of our church, we don't want to face our pain. Last presentation that I presented, because we don't live in a community of believers, because we live so independent, we have this independent spirit, we don't need other people, we don't need God, right? And so we do everything on our own, we become self-righteous and spiritually, we become like um, independent of other people, we just buy whatever we need our services, right? We, and I learned that the more people away from community, the, the less likely they feel the need for actually healing. And not only that, but the more Laodicea feels like they're rich and increasing goods and need of nothing, Laodicea feels that they don't want to face the pain, that they don't need to face the pain. Because all they need to do is press on toward the mark, right? Continue to go on and just move on forward. But we need that renewing of the mind, and like the Bible says we need. We often minimize pain by saying, ah, oh, what I went through, it wasn't really a great deal, no big deal. Well, I just got to forget about it and get on with my life. You ever heard that before? They say, oh, we all suffer in life, and it doesn't really matter, so just forget about it. We say it was past is past. No point in dwelling upon our past. You ever heard that before, said it before? You know, interesting thing that Laodicea is so broken, and the sad thing, I was just talking with some people about this last night, we don't even realize it. Laodicea doesn't think they need any type of healing. And yet, I felt that was the message that Jesus gave to his church, right? In Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. I mean, that was the message. Isaiah 61, you know, that was the message that God gave to his church. And I feel that's the message for this time that God has given us to bring healing to a broken world. To bring healing to you and me. Now, how is it with you? Do you ignore your past wounds so you don't have to embrace your pain as well? That's my question. Mark 15, verse 23 in your Bible. Notice what it says here. It says, 
What did they offer Jesus up when he was on the cross? The Bible says, then they gave him, what did it say? Wine, mingled with myrrh to drink, but he, what? Did not take it. So what was the purpose of the wine, you think? He's up on the cross. What do you think he's feeling? Pain, right? Physical pain, but also what? Emotional pain of being deserted and abandoned. My God, my God, why have you, what? Forsaken or abandoned me. He never felt abandoned. He felt abandoned by his own father, right? So separate, he's in agonizing pain. In fact, the pain actually killed him on the cross. You know, we told inspiration, it wasn't the nails that killed Jesus, right? We told from Ellen White, it was that he, Jesus died of a broken heart, right? He died of a broken heart. That was, he was at emotional pain on the cross. And you know what? And that emotional pain that he was going through of being abandoned by his own father, he could have just drank it and felt better to numb his pain. Right? Couldn't he have done it? But the Bible says he did not drink. In other words, Jesus, when he was going through such agonizing emotional pain, he did not numb his pain with alcohol. Can you hear amen? Amen? We look at the person who's drinking alcohol as the one. This is about addictions, right? But you know, there's other people who numb their pain through smoking, sexual abuse, right? When they have been sexual abuse, they numb that sexual abuse through relationships. They numb their, you know, the childhood trauma as a child. They numb it through um, drugs. They're going through stress. They want to calm down of workplace. They actually numb their pain with cigarettes. They do all kinds of these behavior narcotics, I call it. But you know what? It's not only that. People numb their pain with TV. Do you guys know that? People numb their pain with gaming. People numb their, their pain with sex. Do you know that people even numb their pain with religion? People are so busy. Someone who had been sexually abused became a Christian. And I quote her, and this is what she said. She said, I survived the pain in my heart in Christian ways, doing ministry for God, sharing my testimony, attending workshops and conferences, and running to church meetings. It was too scary to face my pain and my grief and my sadness, so I ran with all my might doing religious things. Do you think that could be possible in our church? That we become so busy moving forward, doing ministry things that we don't want to deal with the pain and agony that we're experiencing in our hearts? You know, I see it all the time. I've seen that our church is broken, but we pretend all the time that everything is okay, but when everything is not okay in our church. Just look at our homes, look at our families. People are looking, you know, I, I was counseling this one young man, and he said to me, I'll explain, remember that, how the, the thoughts affects the feelings and the actions? I was explaining that to him. And we found his root cause, we found it was his problem. And then I tried to apply the love-based solution, remember, I said, to his problem. And I was, I was applying this love-based solution to him, I said, this is what love looks like. This is what's going to help you. I tried to explain it. And he said to me, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know what it looks like. I said, well, he doesn't understand what I'm saying. So I need to explain it from a different way. So I started explaining love from a different angle to this, this young man. And he goes, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know what it looks like. And I said, what do you mean? And then I tried to explain from a different angle. And he said to me again, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know what it looks like. And then it finally hit me. He wasn't saying to me, Pastor, I don't know what you're saying because you're not explaining it correctly. He says, I don't know what it looks like because 
I was raised in a home where I never saw love and what it looks like. All I know about love is my dad beating me up. All I know about love is my mom. She was never there. That's what love is to me. So when I say the word love to you, you know what? Every single person in this room has a different picture of love. Do you know that? When I say God is love, that triggers a different thought in your mind than everyone else in this room. Did you know that? When I say God is love, you're thinking, oh yeah, my dad beat me with my belt. That's my dad beat me. My dad beat my I saw my sister bleeding with blood. That, that's what love is to me. That's what God is like to us. And if we don't do what is right, he's going to beat us as well. Are you following me? That's what love is, right? And what's going to change that picture is that Laodicea needs to go and experience. That's what the Bible says in 1 John. That's what we have seen, right? No, the Bible says that which we have heard, right? And then it says that which we have seen. So in other words, it's good to hear the gospel, but it says that which we have heard and seen and handled the word of life. In other words, not only good enough to just hear the gospel, but we must see the gospel and experience and feel the gospel. What do you say? Amen? And that's why I feel the school is so important because you can hear the messages and it's great and everything, but the power of the school is not the messages so much as it is them seeing the love and what a family looks like and seeing how people treat one another and seeing what self-government looks like. We'll talk about that next weekend. Trinity Church, okay? <laughs> but that's what people are hungering for. God didn't say, oh, I'm sending you the Bible and I love you, right? Because he sent his son, why? To die because actions speak louder than words, right? You can talk all you want and God can talk all you want and that don't mean nothing until he sent his son and he literally came and by his actions, he died for you and me and that proves that he does love you and me. What do you say, amen? Oh, I love you so much. See you guys later and die in sin, right? Is that love? No, he came down and became us and he died. And that's why people are looking for action. They're looking for people who live the life. You know, talk is cheap, right? And anyone can talk, and everyone does talk, and no one does anything. And what God's looking for, he's looking for people who's going to be real, we talked about yesterday, and actually he's going to do something about it, and going to show some love and actually help people to experience healing. You know, like I said, people just don't want that sympathy. They're looking for someone to actually help them. They're looking for someone who has answers, who can help them. And that's why he's calling you. You know, the motto is hurt people, hurt people. But only healed people can heal people. If you have not experienced healing, how are you going to help someone to experience healing if you never experienced yourself, right? And God's not just looking for the intellectual knowledge in your mind. God is looking for you to have a real experience of healing in your life that God has transformed you. And like the quote we shared earlier, that you are the happiest people in the world. What do you say? Amen? And they see that love through you and then that through that love, you can transform lives. People's going to come to God to, through you. You don't even have to say anything. Your life is such that the Bible says that we are living epistles known and read by men. You know what that means? Epistle is a book. In other words, you are a walking Bible that's known and read, that people can read, and they can read the gospel of love through you. What do you say? Amen? And then you can be converted. That's what Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says. One of my other favorite texts. It says, it is the goodness of God that what? Leads us to repentance. God's goodness is his character, his glory, otherwise says his love. So when we see the love of God, that's what brings people to repentance. What do you say? Amen? 
Can you actually experience repentance without love? No, without God's glory, without His goodness, you cannot. If people can see God's goodness through you, right, the living epistle, this by living your life, they can be brought to repentance. This is how you live your life. What a wonderful God we serve. Amen? So your life is more important than what you say. Life is more important than your words. If you believe that, let me say amen. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's look at this text. I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. How are you guys doing, okay? <laughs> okay, we get all stand up. We all stand up. This is our last meeting, so we all stand up. Kind of raise your hand here. Kind of get up here and uh, get the blood circulating before you get tired, okay? I know it's been a long weekend, so just kind of put your hand up. Good, good. Okay, good. All right. Let's go First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Good. Chapter 4, verse 13. This is called the Blessed Hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. When we suffer loss, what should we do? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Right? Lest you sorrow as others who do not have hope. In other words, we ought to grieve, but grieve with hope. What do you say, huh? Amen? So, there's people on either extreme. There's people actually who say, okay, present truth, don't grieve. You got to act strong, be tough, okay? I've seen someone whose mom passed away at a young age, and he was at the funeral, and he was acting really tough and going, yeah, yeah, I'm going to see her. I'm good. I'm going to see her in heaven. I'm going to be there in heaven. How about you? Like that, you know, just being really tough spiritually. Are you following me? Because he had to be tough spiritually. So he did that, and then there's other people like, they're grieving, right? And there's no, not a spiritual service and they're grieving and there's no hope and there's great depression and all that, right? You see another extreme? So there's two extremes. But here in this text it says, we are to grieve, but as you grieve, as you cry and heal, you know, you need to heal. As you heal, you need to heal with what? Hope, right? This is the balance in that text, right? So we need to heal with hope. And that's what the gospel really is. I remember I was up on my ladder and... Um, I was fixing something, I slipped, I fell up the ladder, and I hit my shin on the corner of a cement block that's really thick, the foundation for a house, you know, there's a post and pier kind of thing, and it kind of, kind of chipped my bone too, and, but I didn't go doctor, I just limping for a while, and then I just let it go, I didn't even clean it, <laughs> and it was hurting, it got worse and worse and worse. And then I finally went to the doctor, and the doctor said, it's infected. I said, oh. So what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to have to clean it out. And so had scab on it already. So he got the thing, alcohol, and started scrubbing off the, the scab. And I'm like, oh, and it's ripping it off, and it's bleeding, and so I got to get inside. <laughs> and some of you go like, oh. So you have to do it. I'm like, oh, but you have to do it. And so he put medication, and he fixed it all up, and it was all good, and it got healed. But it still feel a little chip there, you know, from the bone. But you know, the point of the story is that unless we experience and face the pain, because we have infected spiritual, emotional wounds inside, and many people stuff it down, they don't want to deal with it. 
A lot like this lady, they carry along for many, many years, and they don't want to face the pain because they know that it's going to hurt, the scab's going to come off, it's going to be painful, it's going to bleed, but that's the only way you're going to heal. When we talk about healing, we're talking about wounds. Is that not true, right? Healing of a wound. But we're not talking about the external physical wounds. We're talking about the internal heart wounds that works the same way. And so God wants to heal us of this wound, but you got to face your pain. And many people don't want to face the pain. I had a church member, I preached a message on healing. She was so excited. She was a pastor's kid, abused spiritually as a child from her parents, and her sister was a twin who raised in the home. She was so excited, she was experiencing healing. She called home to her sister and said, you know what? I'm experiencing healing in my life. God's working in my life. I'm so excited. And you know what her sister said? She said, I don't want to experience healing. And she said, why? Because if I experience healing, then that means I need to face my pain. And I don't want to face that pain. And to this day, she's never faced her pain. Do you think this could happen in our church? Do you think we could actually come to church and we're looking all good? Praise God, brother. Hey, happy Sabbath. Amen, brother. Woo, woo, preach it. Right? I mean, could that be possible? And inside, empty, broken, void, lonely, hurting, angry, bitterness, shame, guilt, low self-worth unforgiveness, hatred. And can we see all those things? And yet it still goes on. And Laodicea continues on. I don't need anything. I was just talking to someone like, wow, and just, just travel these places and, and go to these churches. I, I kind of tell, I was telling, talking to somebody like, Man, I like it when people come into these conferences because they have to pay to come. That means you want to be here. Sometimes you go to church, like, it's like the careless throng around Jesus kind of brushing next to him, but they didn't really were interested in his healing message. And I kind of feel like that's kind of how like our churches. You go to the church and, oh, great, nice sermon, pastor. You know what I mean? It, that's just kind of how it's like. It's like, but when you go like to, into the world and you preach like to the world and they're so hungry, they want that healing. And you go to Laodicea, Oh, man, when's lunch? I mean, that's like, the, that's how they're not hungry. They don't sense their need. They're in need of nothing. They don't need anything. And I can see how God's heart, why he feels that he must spew them out of his mouth. Laodicea feels they're all good. They don't need anything. Why would you want healing if you feel that you're all good? Jesus said only those who are sick need a physician to experience healing. Is that not true? So why would Laodicea ever come to God anyway if they got everything they need? They're in need of nothing. And that's exactly what's happening, I believe, in our world today. Turn to the story in Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32, verse 26. Okay, Genesis 32, verse 26. And he said, okay, this is talking about Jacob, okay? And he said, he said, remember he's wrestling with the angel, right? And it says, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you what? Unless you bless me, right? So he's wrestling with, Jacob's wrestling with the angel, and then, you see, Jacob had deceived his father and his brother in order to get the birthright, right? 
his brother was coming toward him. And now in his life, God brought circumstances around where he had to face his past of his abuse and how he abused his father and how the lies he had done for his, his brother, right? So now God's bringing circumstances around where he's going to face his past and face his pain, okay, in this text. So that's what's happening. He's facing his pain in 26. And then notice what God says to him, the angel of the Lord, which was Jesus. This is what Jesus said to him. So he said to him, what is your what? Name. And he said what? Jacob. So the angel is wrestling with Jacob, and said, what is your name? What did Jacob say? Jacob. So in other words, what is your name? And what does a name represent in the Bible? Character, Character right? And um, remember, it was David, right? And he actually was going to uh, take revenge upon this man who didn't show kindness to his servants, and he was going to kill him, and his wife came out, right? Abigail? Okay, good. So he came out toward him. Um, the wife came out and said, please, please, right? Um, don't kill my husband, right? Because he's a wicked man. He says, as Nabal, right? He says, as his name is, what? So is he, right? So a person's name is his character, who he is. And that's why you think of the word Hitler. What do you think about? What? Persecution. What else? Mean, cruel, right? All these words, right? When you think of the name Gandhi, what do you think you hear? What are you thinking about? Peace, love, right? Huh? Patient, right? All these words. See how a name can trigger different characteristics, right? In your mind, character traits, right? So as his name is, so is he. The word Jacob means what? Deceiver. In Hawaiian culture, we have the same thing. Uh, my name is Keala, it means the path. My daughter's name is Kaimilani, means seeker of heaven. You know, that's the, our goal is that she be a seeker of heaven. That's her goal. That's her middle name. So our names mean a lot to us in Hawaii and also here in the, in the Bible. It meant a lot. That was the meaning of the word. So Jacob means deceiver. And so what God wanted to do with Jacob is that he wanted Jacob to face his past that Jacob, God knew his name. Why did he ask him his name? Because he wanted him to confess that he was a deceiver. He wanted to go back to his broken past, that he did deceive his father, that he did deceive his brother, that he abused his family, he abandoned them, and that his brother's coming back to take revenge. He wanted to go to the root cause for him to realize and confess that he was a deceiver and go back to his broken past. That's what he did that for. And then it continues on, the Bible says in 28, and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but what? Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. He was given a new name, a new character, because he had been ex experienced healing from his past. And beloved, when you experience healing from your past and you truly heal, God's going to give you a new name and new character. What do you say? Amen? And you'll be a different person. And we're all going to be given new names in heaven, right? And God's transforming your character right now. He's going to give you a new name and says, prevailed. And Jacob said, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, what is it that you ask? And it continues on and says, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. He was wrestling with God. Sometimes when you wrestle to God, when you experience healing, you're going to see God face to face like Jacob did as well. It's when you go to pain and suffering, you're going to see God close like you've never seen him before. He's going to be real in your life, face to face. And then it says here, Remember he had a limp? In his leg after that, 
he had a scar, it says. It says here that just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. On his hip, he had a limp. In other words, there was, even though he was healed of his past, of his emotional pain and suffering and what he'd done to his family and the broken home he came from, even though he had experienced healing, there still was a visible scar that reminded him of his past. And every time he looked at the, the scar, and every time he told the next generation to the next generation, he said, you know, your father, he was once an alcoholic, but I can tell you now, to the grace and love of God, God is healed me from the root cause, and I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ. What do you say, amen? And the same is true with you. Every time you, you may have a scar, you have scars that show maybe physical wounds, you know, in our family. My, my nephew, he broke, shattered his whole leg, fell off the top bunk on a cement floor sideways, 300 pounds, Shattered all his side, right? You know what we told him? My daughter, too, got cracked with a wood fluid, cracked her mouth, broke four of the teeth. My thing was like, welcome to the Thompson family. Because <laughs> <laughs> now you have something to tell your family and your friends that, oh, you remember this, what happened to me? Oh, this scar, this scar. And you know what she tells? You know what, Dad? Now I'm part of the Thompson family. He's just smile with the broken teeth. Because <laughs> we have these scars. It's like remembrance of what happened, right? This is what happened to me in life. It's a scar. It's a remembrance. And that's what he had. Jacob had a remembrance. So every time you've been healed, but you have scars. And they're there to remind you never to go back to those sins. What do you say? Amen? Don't go back to the garbage of where you've been to. And that's a scar to remind you that, hey, look. God has healed me from my past emotional wounds and he's brought me out of this darkness and into the marvelous light and he can do the same to you. So when they saw Jacob, old grandpa Jacob walking down down the field, they know, wow, if God can heal him, he can heal me too. And that's what God's going to do in your life. They're going to look at your life and go, wow, but he can heal that person? Now I have my friends, they tell me, wow. I had several of my friends tell me, Kiala, if God can heal you, now I know there's hope for anybody. <laughs> and you know what? The same is true for many of you here. If God can heal you fully, completely, that you can let love flow throughout to you and be a witness for him, then they're going to know that God can use anybody. And they're going to come to you. And they're going to flock to you because they're looking for healing in this world. I want that. How about you? Amen. You know, you think that just because you become a Christian, everything's going to be perfect. And so when I became a Christian, I thought it was good. Then I became a pastor, you know, more holy, right? Then I got married. You know, God allows marriage to show you how much of a Christian you're really not. Can you hear a big amen? Amen? <laughs> and then what he does is he makes you have kids, then it shows you even more humbling. I mean, you get humble. You think you're humble when you get married? Wait till you have kids. They're going to humble you because you give birth to a heathen. They don't love God, right? <laughs> so now you got to lead this heathen to God without forcing them. Are you following me? Showing them the love where they want to choose God. Ooh. That's the, and they're living in your home. Not like, well, I can't reach that person. Forget you, see you later. I'm going to try this person. Are you following me? You're stuck with that heathen or heathens, right? And God's going to use you with your love to reach these people. They're your own kids, right? That is humbling. To reach your own kids. 
That's the hardest and greatest work there is out there, right? And that's where we see a lot of parents failing today. So when I got married, converted high standards, high standards, vegan, ultra-conservative in every which way. And then my wife telling me that the first year of marriage was her worst year of her life. <laughs> yeah, ouch. There's more outs, I'm telling you this, okay? <laughs> I like to be transparent. I'm going to be real with you guys, okay? That's the worst year of her life. So you know how humbling that is, right? Present true pastor. Do you think it's possible that we could live with the highest standards and yet in our relationships fail because we have a broken past? Do you think Christians are walking to church and look, wow, look at that person, man. Look at that family. They dress, oh, wow, man, that's ultra, really good, present truth. Look at the way they eat, man. I want to be like that. Oh, they live in a country. We live in a country. Not only do we live in a country, we live off the grid for 10 years. How about that? Amen? Can you amen out there? Amen? <laughs> How's that? Off the grid. No electricity. No electric phone lines come in. No phone lines come in, no electric lines come in, no water lines, no internet. Off the grid. Is that present too? Is that present too? Can you begin, man? Amen. <laughs> it, it sounds good, right? Doesn't it sound good? I'm not saying this is wrong. I did it, so I'm not saying it's wrong. But I want you to understand this concept. I'm doing all the right things, but my relationships are suffering. Does that make sense? So, a little diversion here. So, just another story to tag along this. So, I had a good friend. He's from a present true church. He's a head elder of this church that was independent of our church because they felt the church was too corrupt. He's, they started their own church. He's out there. And he was part of the Seventh-day Adventist Reform Church. Have you heard of that? Okay, so, very rigid. And so, he was one of my Bible workers. I bought all kinds of workers, you know. I'm Stephen Lewis workers, whatever workers that came out. We were like, they were hardcore. He invited me to stay with him on the mainland. So I went for some speaking engagements. I stayed with him there at his house. And I'll never forget this. And this is one of the things that changed my mind. That when I went into the house, I stayed there for three days. And I was single at that time. And for three days, not once did he ever introduce me to his wife. In fact, while they're walking down the aisle, you know, walking down the aisle over here, and when they're walking past each other, they'll look away like this. And he was present too. If you were doing something wrong, I mean, some of the workers I have, you know, some of them have lipstick, they go up to the, the female uh, church member, and they go right to them and say, go right the finger and wipe the lipstick off their mouth. That's the kind of workers we had. <laughs> That's my background, okay? I'm just telling you. So you kind of know where I'm coming from. That's what they're, most of them from the street. That's just how it was, huh? that's, what, that's what they did. So because of that, present truth, right? Are you following all these standards and doctrines? Are you following prophecy, standards, doctrines, all that? I'm not telling you this because this is the direction God led me. I'm telling you from where I once used to be and realize just because of the, doing what is right is not enough. There needs to be a healing from our past wounds so we don't treat our people around us who we're supposed to love the most 
treat them badly. Does that make sense to you? It's really about relationship. That's what the Ten Commandments is really all about, right? I shared earlier. First four commandments are relationship with God. The last six commandments are relationship with each other. And that's why I was lacking that. And that's what I needed. That was a wake-up call. That was my first wake-up call. I had many wake-up calls, okay? But as a minister, present truth minister, that really hit me. I'm like, oh, man, I got to make things right. And I realized that I was broken and I needed things to change in my life. And I realized it was a broken relationship in my past. I was supposed to get married to this girl in college. We had seen each other for three and a half years. We are headed down that road. And man, you know, I was, we were intimately involved. And I remember, I'll never forget a time where the suspicions and everything, and finally I realized that she had cheated upon me, one of my best friends. How many have happened to you? Let me see your hands out there. <laughs> Am I the only one? Come on, you guys. Let's be real, huh? Transparent out there? Okay, good. <laughs> so it happens, right? It happens out there. So it happened to me. And I, I remember that that's what, one of the best things that happened to me, too. Because that was the very thing. You know what? I numbed my pain at first. I was drinking all the time. We were going out clubbing all the time. Just numbing our pain in every which way. Just didn't want to feel that pain. But after a while, this got old. And that was a time where I gave my heart to God. Finally, I gave my heart to God. 22 years old. I gave my heart to God. And that's when God changed my life. But that, out of that tragic experience, that is one of the best things that happened to me. And now, you know, I thank her for what happened to me. Because if she didn't do that to me, I will continue on down the same road I was going. So I praise God that happened to me. And now I'm a new Christian and God. And so that would let me. But I realized that because of all the relationships I had in my past, that affected my relationship with my wife. And even if you had sexual relations especially, right? The Bible says there are soul ties. Don't you know that he who joins himself with a prostitute becomes one with a prostitute, the Bible says, right? If you sleep around with one person, your souls become one. You leave that person, your soul is still connected. You go to another person's sleep, your soul comes one. And all the evils that's connected with all these different men or different women is still connected with you. You need to experience that healing from your past. It's another sermon. But that's why they need that healing. And I realized I need that healing with my wife. And it's been a long process and God's still working on us. But I praise God, you know, that God's still working in our hearts, in our lives. And I experience that healing in my life. We must face the pain in order to experience that healing. The healing begins. Healing begins. When you face your pain. I want that healing to begin. How about you? Let me see hands. Amen? That healing begins when we do face our pain. I want this healing to begin in my life, in your life. How about you? What do you say? Amen? This is where the healing begins. This is where the healing starts. When you feel like you're broken within, that's where God comes and He heals your heart. This is where your healing begins. Not only your healing, but those you love the most. And may you start a chain reaction of healing for all those around you. I want to help out you. What do you say? Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.